Thank you for being here tonight. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to read some scripture tonight and uh, do some study. Hope you take some good notes tonight. If you don't have an outline, hope you get one tonight. You need the outline this evening so you understand that. 2 Thessalonians. How many of you were blessed this past Sunday by Brother, Begali, Brother Fagali? It was a blessing, wasn't he? Amen. And I hope that uh, you don't take for granted our missionaries. I mentioned tonight, as some of you just got in, uh, we need to be especially in prayer for our missionaries in China right now. Uh, it's a very difficult situation for a lot of them. And uh, they're, they're trying to keep services going. The government really doesn't want any public assemblies right now of any kind. And so it's a little bit difficult, and they don't want to be running afoul of that. But you pray for them if you would. And I've heard back from almost all of them. And uh, one's back here in the States because his wife has some health complications with a, a pregnancy. But the rest of them, they stayed behind her and protecting the flock there. Second Thessalonians 3, if you don't have a Bible, look over the shoulder of someone who does. Make sure it's a King James Version Bible. And uh, we'll be in good shape here. Once you notice verse 6. And I was going to read a few verses, but I'm going to read all the way down to verse 15. I want you to follow up with me tonight because I want you to catch the, the context where we're at tonight. Now, as we read this, and you'll hear me repeat this this evening, we're going to see in chapter 3, Paul makes a series of at least three commands. And whenever, whenever there's a command in the Bible, it's, it's incumbent upon us to understand why we should obey that. And if we don't obey, we're being disobedient to God. And one of these commands we're going to look at is the subject of our, of our study this evening that, uh, that really is not being preached on much in our independent Baptist circles. And I'll tell you, outside of our Baptist circles, it's never preached on. And so, you know, tonight I want to tell you that as a church, we, it needs to be preached on. It needs to be held up high. We're going to wave the banner. The Lord's our banner, amen. And uh, if he's our banner, we've got to wave the banner high for the word of God. And in verse 6 it says, Now we command you, brethren the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to sense the seriousness and the sternness of the Apostle Paul in making the statement. And he says that ye, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. And the word disorderly, as you'll see tonight, I'll make mention of it again, has the idea of a broken bone, a bone out of joint, that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, you might want to mark, write in your margins, chapter 2, verse 15. Because Paul mentions those traditions there, those doctrines. And he talks about those who do not, do, that were not walking in accordance with the traditions passed down to them. Now, the traditions means the doctrines of the scriptures. It's not the bad practices of men. Now, you know, there, there are practices that churches have and that are unique to them, and you know you can change those practices as long as they don't violate Scripture. And we'll continue on, but he talks about these traditions, the doctrines. And he said in verse 7, For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. That's an important phrase there. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught or for nothing, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. And just, you might make a note here in verse 8, that the concept of faith promise uh, was birthed out of what Paul's statement there, because you remember there, while he was Thessalonica, that the church at Philippi sent once and again offerings to him. That kind of originated the thought of faith promise. But before all that happened, Paul labored night and day to support himself, because really churches at that time really didn't have a concept of what faith promise missions was. It was just, it was really a raw idea to them. And God was helping to unfold this. And God led Paul to write about this later on in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and in Philippians 4. 
But continuing on in our reading, he said in verse 9, not because we have not power. In other words, he said, I could have taken money from you. I could have taken offerings, but I did not. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That's good admonition. Don't be a freeloader. Amen? Go to work. Young men, work. Ladies, work. Okay? Young people, work. And he says that we should work. And he said in verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Now, the word disorderly is used three times in this passage of Scripture. Working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, them that are such, we command. There's that command again. And exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Now, remember, this was a discouraged congregation. We saw that in previous messages. And he said in verse 14, we go back to where he started in verse 6, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. Now, the word note is the same word used in Romans 6, 14, mark. Identify him. Circle him. He says, note that man... <clears throat> And have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet him counted not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. I want you to go back with me to verse 6. <clears throat> and Paul uses the word withdraw. And the title of the message I'm drawing out of 1 Timothy 6, where Paul says, from such, withdraw yourselves. And this evening, we want to look at this word withdraw and no company. What does he mean? What does the Bible mean? What, what does the preacher mean when he talks about biblical separation? And we're going to touch on it. I'm not going to be very thorough on it tonight, but I will give you a lot, and I hope you'll take some good notes. And if you're a Sunday school teacher, you teach in the clubs, or you come to the pulpit, you need to have some semblance or grasp of what I'll give you tonight about biblical separation, the importance of it. And why it's a distinctive, and I want to emphasize that word, it's a distinctive of independent Baptist churches. It's a strong distinctive. It's a fundamental distinctive of independent Baptist churches. And you'll understand as I talk about it tonight and preach on it tonight, why it's a distinctive, what differentiates independent Baptist church from other churches. And we're not being elitist or anything like that. We're just trying to be biblical. Amen? And so we're trying to be scriptural about what we believe tonight. I want you to follow that this evening as we preach. Now, Father, bless your word. I thank you. It's, it's such a joy and delight for me after being out preaching for three nights, and being with our congregation again, and being our people, and the hunger and thirst our people have for the word of God. I'm so appreciative of that tonight. And uh, Lord, I'm just excited about preaching here, and I'm praying that tonight that you'll help me to be understandable and to communicate your word effectively. Bless our time tonight. We ask to use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, without doubt, if you're following the news, you know about the coronavirus that originated in the city of Wuhan. It's not a joke. It's a very scary situation. On a very, on a very small level, we look at this coronavirus situation. It's spread, and I just was checking the news, and this is based on reported, and really we have to look at what's unreported, but uh, they, they came out. There's a tracker right now that one of our news, news media outlets has. And they reported as of uh, about 9 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time that coronavirus has affected about 7,700 people. And we know anything about numbers and reporting is probably much larger than that. And they reported about 170 deaths. The majority of them, about 162 of them, are, have, are people in Wuhan. But if you know anything, if you've studied this, this disease, and I've kind of been tracking since it got first hit the news in, in January there, early January, 
that it affects the upper respiratory, uh, it's an upper respiratory ailment, and the idea of a coronavirus basically encompasses anything with flus and colds and upper respiratory illnesses, and this particular virus mimics in many, in many ways the, the, the SARS virus that happened in 2003, which means a severe acute respiratory uh, syndrome, and they have found now that this, this coronavirus started, it was zootic, it started with animals and then has tra- been passed to humans, and now they believe it's going from human to human, and it's airborne, and uh, now it's in many, many different foreign countries right now, and has resulted in many deaths, as we said. And they're trying to put a containment on them. One of the things, as you know, that the country China did, they, they suspended or put restrictions on people going in and out, and, and now we heard today that our airlines, and I think it's very prudent of them, I just think they're a little bit late on this, but our airlines are restricting travel or suspending travel in and out of China and so forth like that. And basically, they're trying to, they're trying to curtail this virus from spreading, and, uh, and people, they, they, they evacuated some Americans out of Wuhan, and, and instead of bringing here to San Francisco, which was the original idea, they flew them up to Anchorage, Alaska, and there they're kind of quarantining them, I guess for lack of a better term. Uh, they're quarantining them. They're separating them out from the rest of the population to evaluate them for 14 days or so to make sure they don't have any symptoms there. And then if they, if they pass that test, they're going to fly them down to Ontario, California, and they kind of disperse them from there. But the concept I want you to give to you tonight is that we, 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 see, the, we see the principle of separation being, being happening here in a physical context, in a real context here, where people that are, uh, have any symptoms of this very terrible virus are being separated from the rest of the population. Last week, as we watched this unfold, I sent a memo out, and some of you probably saw it if you get the emails, and I hope you read the emails we sent out, because sometimes there's very important information on those we send out. And I sent on the email that if you, know, if you have any symptoms of a runny nose, cold, flu, anything like that, probably the best practice for you is to stay home and get well, instead of coming to church and possibly contaminating other people and things of that nature there. And it's not that we don't think that you have the coronavirus or anything like that, we just are, we think it's good for you, and we think it's good for other people like that. And if I get sick, I, you know, I'll, I'll find a way to pray. I'll probably have somebody video me from, from behind, and you can watch me from video or something like that. I'm not sure I'm going to do it, so I don't infect you there, but, you know, we'll figure a way out of that. But, you know, we see the, we see the concept of separation there, and it's a very real thing. And tonight, I want us to see this, this doctrine of separation. I, I don't know why, but when I got saved in 1971, I mean, uh, old-time fundamentalists, they preached on that all the time, and I kind of just cut my teeth on it. And, you know, I was a college student in 1970, I think, what year was it? I think it was 1975, I, uh, the, the the pastor got saved under, we were at his home, we had a college group meeting, and I asked him some questions, and he said, where'd you get all this stuff from? I said, well, I've just been reading the sword of the Lord, and I'm, I just, I'm trying to get my, my head around concepts like what they call secondary separation, and all of these types of things there, and, and, uh, and you know, we talked about it much, and, and uh, you know, but I'll tell you that I, I, I'm a pastor today, and because I have very strong convictions about separation, and you need to have very strong convictions about separation. A book I want to encourage you to get, if you don't know how to get it, let me know, I'll get it for you. It's a very good book. Deacons, you need to have this. I'll get it for all the deacons and staff. Dr. Fred Moritz wrote this book, Be Holy. It's a very good book. Did you guys get that in, in Bible college? Did they tell you to read that in Bible college? I'll get this for you guys here. But the rest of you, if you need a copy, you ought to let me know. We'll order some for you. They still have it on stock here. And uh, it's a very good book on separation that will help you. I've got a couple others I'll recommend uh, that, that probably be good for you. But that's a very good one, baseline, that will help you understand the doctrine of separation. Now, if you've got some notes, I want to take some notes. I'm going to preach and teach at the same time tonight, all right? Number one, I want you to understand the principle of separation. The principle of separation, okay? Now, we talk about the principle. I want you to look at our passage scripture. Paul refers in 2 Thessalonians 3 to four commands. One's found in verse 4. And then in verse 6, verse 10, and verse 12, 
he talked about these commands again. Now, two of these commands we find in chapter 3, and anytime you find something repeated in the same chapter or over and over again in the, in the book, there's an emphasis there. And there were, some, there were some brethren there down at Thessalonica that basically were freeloaders. They, were, they weren't working. And they were sticking their nose in a lot of places in the church business they should not have. The Bible calls them busybodies. And uh, Paul said, you know, I want to write to you here because this thing's out of hand. And he says it's not appropriate. And where busybodies are, there's gossip, there's evil speech, things like that. And uh, Paul, he said, he he defers to walking disorderly here. And that's the general context there he's talking about there. And we want to be familiar with that term, walking disorderly. But be that as it may, he's talking about, if you notice verse 6, because he sets the guideline here. And this is not the only passage, by the way, we'll see tonight. This is not the only passage Paul refers to about biblical separation. He says that you should withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which you received of us. Now, the Bible makes very clear the principle of separation. It's just not only the New Testament, it's found also in the Old Testament. It's a Bible principle. And we're going to see in a moment how this is just, this is just kind of unfolds here in the Bible, and why, we, why it's important for us as a, as a church that we understand one of our Baptist tenets is separation. If you look at the letter S in, 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 our, in the acrostic Baptist, the letter S talks about separation. It's twofold. It talks about, uh, it talks about sep- the separation of church and state, which today a lot of our Baptist brethren identify with that, and we identify with that too. But many of them do not address the issue of individual separation. And we talk about individual separation. That's individual separation from the first class, which is basically disorderliness or sin, or we would call worldliness in that, in that sense. And then there's the other extent, which I'm not going to get into tonight, which is a practice we have, which is called ecclesiastical separation. And ecclesiastical separation deals with our separation from, from individuals or groups that perhaps may have the same name as us, but perhaps they're associating perhaps with others that I would not be very comfortable associating with because their doctrine is not on the same page as us or they're going in a direction that's not the same as us. And so I would take the position that, that I, I probably would not have I might fellowship with that person outside as a pastor. And, you know, I might see him some, some outside and talk with him and, and be cordial to him, but I would not let him preach in my pulpit. And that's what we would call ecclesiastical separation there. And we're not going to get into that tonight, but I want you to understand this evening that we must understand this matter in verse 6 and 12 about this matter of, of, or verse 14 of those who will be not the word of God and why we should separate from them. Now, Dr. John R. Rice, and he's got a book on this too that I'll recommend, but he, he made this statement. He said, people go wrong in their fellowships before they go wrong in their directions. Now that's kind of interesting because if you watch the trend, right now we're going through this trend again where we're seeing a lot of young fundamentalists and young independent Baptists, they're changing, they're taking Baptists off their name, they're doing all these things, and a lot of this, if you'll follow the trend of how this happens, a lot of this happens because they go wrong in their fellowships first before they go wrong in their doctrine. Now I'm going to say this to you this evening as adults, I I try to do this once a year with our college and career group and our high school seniors, always talking about friendships and associations, and always remind you that as you graduate from high school and college, you have a network that this, that's about this big, and you're going to find is after you get married or you've been around for a few years, that that network becomes like this, 
because either people are drifting away because they're no longer here, or they're drifting away because they don't agree with the doctrines of the church or whatever it might be. And, and, and so you, have to, you find yourself in a very, very difficult situation because you're, you're in this or uncomfortable position because you're finding that these are people that you've been friends with and people that you've you know, hung out with, you've have, uh, you, you know, you've fellowship with, you've had a meal with them, you've had boba tea with them or whatever it may be there, and you've had a good time with them, but you've noticed these signs of these trends where they, they're drifting there and you feel very uncomfortable like, you know, this is a really good friend I've hung out with, what do I do in that situation there? And we're going to see how the Bible answers that because that's a very real concern and I'll address that and I'll share some things personally, what I've had to go through and how it's very difficult in working through that, but we see that it's a principle. Now notice some things about this principle. <laughs> We notice this principle is a common practice. Did you know tonight that we practice separation in everything we do? You separate clean clothes from dirty clothes, do you not? Uh, we separate the contaminated from the uncontaminated. Uh, we separate the men's restrooms from the ladies' restrooms. Amen. Amen. How many understand what I'm talking about tonight? Okay. We separate the men's restroom from the ladies' restroom. Just go look at it, okay? If you can't read the symbols, we'll help you. Okay, ushers have been trained to do that, okay? Uh, we separate the sick from the healthy. Uh, we separate those who pass from those who do not pass. Uh, we, you know, Jesus talked about separating the chafe from the wheat. Uh, we separate the weak from the strong. I mean, we, it's a common practice, amen? I mean, we just practice separation and, and daily living. That's what we do there, okay? But I want you to notice something else here. It's a principle not only of a common practice, but it's a principle that is a consecrating precept. The basis for separation is holiness. The book of Leviticus, in fact, even before that, Abraham had to separate from Lot. Genesis 13, look it up. Abraham had to separate from Lot. And when you go to Leviticus, and I might, I might preach on this uh, two Sundays from now. I, I've got a passage I've got, I, I'm, I'm studying right now in Leviticus 14 I, I might preach from. But notice Leviticus 10.10. 10, God said, and that you may put a difference between holy and unholy. Let me stop there. We, we, I'm talking about you and me. We are to know the distinction and to differentiate holy from unholy. How many understand, have a difficult time understanding what holy and unholy is? Holy is closest to God. Unholy is not close to God at all. Holy is the word of God. If it's not the word of God, it's unholy. Okay, so when we look at these things here, he said that you may put a difference between holy and unholy, between the unclean and clean. Now, you go through Leviticus, and he, he painstakingly, he identifies what to eat and what not to eat. What is he doing there? He's explaining separation. He's explaining separation to us there, okay? And so Leviticus tells us what is sinful, not sinful, what to eat and not to eat. And by the way, if, if they had read this, the po this problem of the coronavirus would have happened. Amen. I'm just telling you, you don't eat snakes. Amen. And you don't eat bats. Some of you have to change your diet, amen? Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In fact, don't look at your notes. Turn to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn to it, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, this is a key, key text in understanding biblical separation. I'm going I'm to say a couple things tonight. I'm not going to go very deep into it, but I'm going to say a couple things about it tonight just because I've got a lot of material to cover. 
2 Corinthians 6, Paul said this, verse 14. Be ye not, and please understand, that's an imperative, that's a command. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And we stop there. Paul chose a phrase that made a lot of sense in that day. The yoke was a farming instrument. You'd put this large harness, this farming instrument, on two oxen. So they would plow together. And the yoke was very heavy, would keep one from going far faster than the other. It would keep them in, in it would keep them going at the same pace. And one of the things we read through Deuteronomy, it says, you're not to yoke an oxen with a donkey, alike with an unlike. Okay? And so Paul takes that, that, that phrase, this, this matter of yoking, and he applies it here. Notice verse 14. Please listen to me. I'm going to save you a lot of trouble tonight. He says, be ye not unequally yoked together with who? Okay? Now what does that mean? Real quickly. You're not to go into business with unbelievers. You're not to marry unbelievers. And somehow I feel like, even though I've preached on this many, many times, I feel like it's going ahead. Now, I understand I understand the dilemma of being single and the pool of eligibles being very small. I understand. I'm not joking about this. I understand that, okay? And sometimes the temptation is very strong for a single person or a divorced person of wanting to have companionship and all that. We understand that God made you to have companionship. God made you to get married, Okay? I understand that, but God's principle is not to be violated. He says here in verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay, now, he, gives, he answers that by giving his questions. Okay, notice he says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion, and that's the same idea of fellowship, what communion is light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with the devil, Belial? And what part is he that believeth with an infidel? Now, he's getting a little stronger. He says, now, you, listen, in their, in their day and age, he's saying, if you're a believer, if you marry an unbeliever, you're basically marrying an idol worshiper because that's pretty much what people did in that day. They worshiped idols, okay? And so we read on a little further, and he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, he's bringing it a little bit closer to home now. For you're, not, for you're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice he gives a very stern command now, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Now, what he's saying there? He's talking to believers down there at Corinth that were intermingled with the world. And when and we, we get to our study in Corinth, we'll, we'll see some of these, because Corinth was a pretty messed up city, and I just... Thankful Paul planted a church there, but they need but a church in a city setting like that, they need strong leadership. And that church, uh, over a period of time, they drifted into a lot of things. And to be honest with you, the church at Corinth was a compromising church. It was a worldly church. It was, frankly, as I preach out, I tell people it was a messed up church. It was a messed up church, okay? I'm not sure I would have wanted to join that church. I'd, I'd go start another church or something there, I mean, you know? But I don't think I would have, I would have joined that church. I mean, it, just, it had so many troubles there. And... Uh, and Paul just set so many things in motion. By the way, you know, I'm thankful that Paul did set that in motion. That's why we have First and Second Corinthians, amen? And those are good books to read, and don't, don't shy away from them there, okay? But he says, wherefore, come up from among them, and he says, be ye separate, saith the Lord, not saith Paul. Now, if it saith the Lord, we need to obey God, amen? And he says, and touch not the unclean thing. Now, if you've read Leviticus, you've seen that many, many times. He says, touch not the unclean thing. And that's like, don't, you don't touch dead things. You don't touch dead bodies there. And he says, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. But here's a distinction. And I will be a father to you 
unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. He says, here's the distinction. When you come out from among them, when you're separated, you're showing the distinction of your affinity and your family relationship with God the Father there. So we see tonight that this is a Bible precept there. God said very strongly in verse 17, come out from among them, be ye separate. The, the goal in biblical separation is our personal holiness and our closeness to God. Now, if you don't remember anything else, that's the most important statement about this message tonight, that the doctrine, the goal in, in, in separation is our personal holiness and our closeness to God. Now, always remember this. In separation, as we, 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 we get really nitpicking when identify what we need to separate from, we must not overlook who we're separating to. Amen? Because the goal is Jesus Christ, okay? It's just like marriage. If you, if you dated other people when you got serious about the person that you were with and you decided that you knew it was God's will for you to marry that person, you separated from all those other relationships. You separated from them because you're separated to someone else, okay? Now, when you got saved, you got separated to Jesus Christ. That's a good thing, amen? It's a good thing to be separated to Jesus Christ. It's a great thing to know that he's my savior and he's my God and he's my best friend and he's my, he's my Lord and he's the Alpha and the Omega. I mean, when you think about all the things about Jesus Christ, he's the Lord who's my shepherd and he's the, he's the bread of life and he's the water of life. Listen, when, when you think about who you're separated to, why would you want to go back to the other places, amen? Now listen to this quote by George Washington. This was, this was written by the founder of the United States of America, the first president of the United States of America. And he was a Christian man. I've got, a, I've got books on his quotes and things that stir me up every time and every now and then when I read it. He said, associate with men of good quality if you esteem your reputation. He, listen to this. For it is better to be alone than in bad company. And he's not even a preacher. Amen? That's a pretty good quote. I put that on social media. That's a pretty good quote there. He says, better to be alone than in bad company. So number one, we see the principle. We've got to get moving here because I want to get you out on time. Number two, notice the prohibition. Now, I said in, in 2 Thessalonians 3, turn back there. I said, separation identifies our distinction. But separation also means there is a division. There's a division. And I'm going to give you some things tonight very quickly. We're going to go through this really quickly this evening, about six or seven of them, where the Bible is very, 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 very black and white and very clear about separation. If you have your notes out, notice number one, we must be separated from the world, James 1.27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and widows in affliction and to what? Keep himself what? From who? The world. We're to separate from the world. Now, that sounds pretty strong. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're in the world. We're not to be like the world. We're not to go down the same path as the world, okay? To keep yourself unspotted from the world. I like how James positioned that because later on, James says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And that's pretty strong. Abram, as I said, had to separate from Lot. I read the story of a, of a young Chinese convert in China that he, when he, he came, made a brief visit to America many, many, many years ago before the communist takeover, and he was observing American Christians, and he was just, it was broken in his heart. He says, you know, he says, he, he just noticed that they were just very, very worldly, to be honest with you, and he made this statement. He says, when he said, when the disciples in my country come out from the world, they come clear out. And that's kind of interesting for a foreigner coming over to this country here. Dr. Rice said this, the world never burned a casual Christian at the stake. 
The world never burned a casual Christian at the stake. So number one, we must separate from the world. Number two, we must separate from doctrine. Now, when I say that, a lot of you are in school and a lot of you have, have uh, unsafe friends. God is not telling you not to have unsafe friends. How are they going to get saved if you don't reach them, amen? He's not telling you that. He's telling us don't be like them. Don't go down that path. I mean, there's, there's you've got to draw the line. And that's one of the clearest things as a young person. You've got to, as a young believer and, and a young person tonight, you've got to know where to draw the line, okay? Where a lot of young preachers get all messed up, they don't know where to draw the line. A preacher I preached for this last three night for the missions conference, he, uh, he took me out Monday night before the church and spent two hours asking me a lot of questions, a lot of good questions. And it got down to this. I said, preacher, I said, thank you for asking all this stuff. I said, I'm going to tell you right now what you need to remember. You need to know where to draw the line. If you don't know where to draw the line, you're going to always be in trouble. If you don't draw the line, you're going to keep pushing the line. You've got to know where to draw the line, okay? So number one, number one, separate from the world. Number two, we must separate from doctrinal error. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. Here's what he said. If any man obey not our word by this epistle... Note that man, have no copy with him, that he may be ashamed. Second Thessalonians 3, 6, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw, that is, you pull away yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now that tradition, as I said in, in chapter 2, verse 15, is the tradition which you've been taught, whether by word or by epistle. He says, note that man. Now go down a little bit further, go to, with me to Romans chapter 16. In Romans chapter 16, and I gave the incorrect verse. I said verse 14, verse 17. Notice Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. It's very important here. Now, Paul had to, had to wait until he, he, he just talked about the doctrine of salvation there, and he did a great job of that. And he, gave us, he talked about the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation. He, ta- he talked about the doctrine of uh, sanctification, glorification there. And then he talked about serving God and being the will of God and, and knowing the gifts that God has given you and honoring God and being careful of the, of the last days. And then later on in chapter 14, he warned us about uh, being offensive to the weaker brother and, and uh, Christian liberty and all that. And, and then chapter 15, he talks about, he talks about you know, cross cultural missions and things of that nature. Then we get to chapter 16, and he's commending in chapter 16 all these brothers and sisters who were helped him. He starts off with this lady by the name of Phoebe who helped him and talked about killing Priscilla. But as he does all that, he's doing it out of a pastor's heart. He gets down to verses 17 and 18, and he's in verse 17 and 18, he gives them a warning because he knew that the moment that this letter would end, that those brethren and those pastors were susceptible to woes who would enter their congregation and would deceive them. So notice verse 17, he says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, note them, circle them, mark them, notice this, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Now, he's helping us understand from a doctrinal context, those who have doctrinal error, he tells us right there, they, they cause divisions and offenses. The word offenses means scandal, is the word scandalizo, where we get our word scandal from. He says they cause divisions and offenses, and others, they, they, they just get people all messed up in their heart. And he says, contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, and avoid them. Now, I'll say more about that. And then he said in verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They're self-serving. They have an agenda. They're out to build others, to disciples after themselves. He says, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words, and that's how they work, they like to use their intellectual stuff there. By good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, if you're going through discipleship, you don't know all the doctrine of Scripture, 
And the person next to you is dressed really nice, and they start whispering in your ear and telling you about some, about some things there, and I'm going to give you some examples in a moment here. You need to get, you need to let, you need, your radar screen needs to go up, and the first thing you need to be thinking about is, does he talk to the pastor about this? Has she talked to the pastor about this? And you need to make a beeline and see me quickly. Don't even go to staff member first. You need to come see me quickly and let me know we got that kind of problem here because I promise you I will confront it. I promise you I will confront it, okay? Because that goes on. And the larger our church gets and we attract more different people, you know, the gospel light attracts a lot of different bugs out there, amen? So notice what he says here. Mark them. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul makes this statement. He says, honing faith, verse 19, 20, honing faith and a good conscience. Now, that's an admonition to us. Two things. Hold on to your faith. I promise you, the doctrine you've been taught at Heritage Baptist Church is Bible doctrine. It's not man-made doctrine. It's not what some philosopher or theologian came up with five years ago. It's the Bible here, okay? And holding faith, and then he says, with a good conscience. He says, with some having put away... Concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Now, what, is, what does he mean, shipwreck? They've wrecked their faith. They've wrecked their faith. They've crashed into the rocks. And he names two men. Now, these two men were good associates of Paul at one time. Hymenius and Alexander. They were co-laborers. They were in the church at Ephesus there. They were good men at one time. But they got off in false doctrine. And you read 2 Timothy 2... And they, one of those doctrines, they, the false doctrine they're advocating was the resurrection was past. They're saying the resurrection was not relevant. They're still saying that today. They're saying, you got to preach a relevant message. Well, you can't get any more relevant than Jesus Christ, amen? You can't get any more relevant than Christ died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. And you can't get any more relevant than the fact that Jesus still saves sinners, amen? That's relevant, amen? But they were saying the resurrection passed. And uh, in, in Paul's time, as he wrote to the Thessalonians, they said, you missed the rapture. Okay, and so, so Paul, he went to them lovingly, and, he, and I believe he, he practiced Matthew 18. He went to them directly, and they didn't listen. He took another brother with him as a witness, and they didn't listen. Then they, they, they still, they rebelled against him. And the Bible says here they blasphemed the word of God, and they blasphemed God himself. And so Paul brought them before the church, and they churched them. They churched discipline. They said, for false doctrine there. And so notice what happens here. He says, he says in verse 20, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may not blaspheme. They had doctrinal disagreements and disputes, and they were causing divisions. So what did Paul do? What does it mean to church them? He excommunicated them. He took away their membership, and we'll talk more about that from 1 Corinthians 5, the danger of that. Let me tell you, one of the reasons why you should be a church member is to be under the umbrella protection of the local New Testament church. And you lose that, you lose that. The Bible, that you read 1 Corinthians 5, listen, you, you are at risk of, of, of Satan killing you because Satan has the power of death. God has the power of life. You read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 5. That's why you ought to have the fear of God in your life, by the way. Notice what he said here in 1 Timothy 6. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Notice he says here, he is proud. Now he's quoting from, from Proverbs. Only by pride cometh contention, the Bible says. Amen. So he says here in verse, verse 4, he said, he is proud, knowing nothing, and I would agree with that. But doting about questions and strifes of words, 
Whereof cometh envy, strife, railing, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godly, from such withdraw thyself. He said, listen, if they come to the church and do not agree with the doctrine of the word of God and your pastoral authority, he says, you need to withdraw from them. He says, do not have fellowship with them. That's what Paul said. Now you said, well, that's pretty strong. No, that's for doctrinal purity. It's for the protection of the church. Now, you don't agree with that. You're going to have to grow in grace in this because I'm going to tell you, this is what God said. This is a command. This is not a preference. This is a command. How many understand what I'm saying tonight by command? Amen? It's a command. And he tells about the person. And Paul's pretty strong. He's telling Timothy. Now, Timothy, you and I are different personalities. I'm an A and you're a B. But he says, I want to tell you right now, I want to tell you what these guys are all about, these false teachers. Now, let me, let me describe verses four, uh, 3, 4, and 5. I'm going to give you some thoughts. You want to jot some notes down. Number one, they're insubordinate people. They're insubordinate. They will not submit to authority. They cannot and will not submit to biblical or pastoral authority. Now, I'll tell you right now, I'll, I can take a lot of junk personally, but you mess with the church and you mess with the word of God and doctrine, I have no tolerance for that. I have zero tolerance for that. And I'm going to tell you this evening here, if you're doting about in books and wrong doctrine and you're reading Calvinistic literature or hyper-grace literature, you're on the wrong page. You're on the wrong page, I said. And here's what they do. They like to tout their education, their status. They got a master's or doctor's degree. What seminaries they went to or cemetery they went to. Who their mentors are. What circles they run in. They're retired pastors. They've gone to a seminary Bible college and jumped from church to church. They never stay any place. They jump here and there because they're trying to find disciples they can make. And they'll, they'll, do, they'll, they'll say something like this. Well, you know, the pastor said this, but I want to tell you, let me enlighten you what the, what the Word of God says. When they tell you something like that, you ought to know right there that there's something wrong. You ought to know right there there's something wrong with that because they're trying to build a following. And Paul warned the elders down at, at, at Ephesus at the city of Miletus. He says, woes will enter in amongst you. From the, within the flock, they'll enter in among you, trying to make disciples of themselves there. And they'll tell you there's something there. And here's what they'll say. They're, they're, the new thing right now, it's either, it's either Calvinistic tendency, which we've talked about, or they're, gonna, they're back in this hyper-grace movement, which kind of started with Chuck Swindoll, that he kind of gave, gave prominence to back in the 90s there, where basically they said, well, grace gives you the license to do whatever you want to do. It does not give you the license to do what you want to do. That's not what, that's not what Titus 2, chapter 2 says. But the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's the grace of God. The grace of God is a head to keep it from falling into sin, not to lead us into sin. But it's this hyper-grace movement and, and stuff. And they like to have a meal with you. And you be careful. If somebody invites you to their home for a meal, if it, if it, you better be careful about that. You better check in with Pastor Fong about what's going on there. Because they want to have a meal with you, debate you, and make you question Bible doctrine, biblical practice. They had one of them do that. And we had a member here who's very naive and said, well, you ought to have that person come up. He's got some great things to say. And I said, well, why don't you tell him to come to church because God has some great things to say. Amen? <laughs> They're looking for disciples. Don't you be one of them. Heresies like Calvinism, and it's a heresy. It's a damnable doctrine. Lifestyle evangelism, which now they go with the term, they call themselves the gospel coalition, or they're missional. And they accuse preachers who preach against sin or preach from the King James Version Bible. They say that we're either a cult or we're lacking grace. We are not a cult, we're biblical. Biblical. 
If we're a cult, we're trying to control you. We're not controlling you. You have individual soul liberty. Controlling means if you leave this church, you're going to die and go to hell. That's controlling. You have individual soul liberty. If you disagree, you're free to go. We don't want you to go. We want you to know what the truth is. The truth will set you free. Amen? They're enemies of soul winning, evangelism, and church planting. They are trending, following the leading, leading megachurch and church growth writers of the day. And they say if you, are, if you practice biblical separation and try to live according to the Bible, like, you know what they say? They call you a legalist. Well, guess what? I was saved by grace and not by the law. Amen? And listen tonight. You're going to get a little uncomfortable with this, some of you. They're okay with worldly music in the church. Worldly church members and drinking alcohol and getting drunk. You be here Sunday morning for my message from Isaiah chapter 5. I'll be referring to the six woes that God gave to Isaiah that you're going to need to hear that. But don't miss these messages from Isaiah. They're good stuff. But number one, we need to be separated from the world. We need to be separated from false doctrine. Number three, we need to be separated from angry men. Make no friendship with an angry man. With a furious man thou shalt not go. Number four, we need to be separate, separated from sinful brethren. Look at 1 Corinthians 5.1. Look what he says, 5.11. He says this, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. Do you listen to this very carefully? If a man that is called a brother be a fornicator, he's grossly immoral or covetous or an idolater, which covetousness and idolatry are one and the same, or a railer, the sins of the tongue, that's complaining and being bitter and talking nasty about things. And he says, or a drunkard or an extortioner. Notice this, with such one, no, not even to eat. Now, we've had difficult situations in the past where we've had to carefully and discreetly discuss separation. And I've had some well-meaning members saying, well, man, I really care about that person. And do you, th- do you think it would be okay for me to take them out for a meal? Not according to that verse. That's not your business. They've been warned. They've been told what they need to do. They need to come back. And they need, they need to be in accordance with God's word there. That doesn't mean God doesn't love them, but God's given them the ample warning. And you, when we get to that in 1 Corinthians 5, I'll we'll probably spend two messages on this so you can understand the context of what that's all about there. But I want you to notice verse 11. Did you notice these, verse, these words, those descriptions? Do you know those are all grounds for church discipline? Those are all grounds for confrontation on a pastoral level, and if you don't agree with that, then, then a witness comes and all those. Now, that, that thought scares a little bit because, uh, you know, a lot of times people overlook this railing business, the sins of the tongue, but I'll be real honest with you, it would curtail a lot of gossip and division that goes on in churches if they'd exercise verse 11 there because it would stop a lot of that junk from happening. Amen? And then notice number five, he tells us we, t- we need to separate from the unruly. Now, that's what he's talking about here in verse chapter three. Look again at, at, at 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. He says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Unruly is talking about, Pete. now Paul gives admonition in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, preached on it. He says, now, you know, you need to just, you know, he talks about how to comfort, he says to, you know, be patient with the unruly. And I understand that, I understand that. But there comes a time, he says here now, these unruly, he says, if they're not walking 
They're, walking, they're not walking in the tradition that they've received. Here's what's happening. They're being disobedient to God's word. They're disobedient to the rules and the commands, and, and they're contentious with pastoral authority, and they're, they're contentious, and they're going a different direction, not in step with where God wants us to be. And God says this, and you need to withdraw yourself from such, from such type fellowship there. Now, in the context, if you notice verses 7 to 12, would you notice this and write this down? He's not only talking about doctrine. He's also talking practices. He's referring to those believers who were idle, lazy, and were busybodies. They were busybodies. And he's very strong about that. He used that word busybody in verse 11 there. They have too much time on their hands and get involved with other people's matters or try to involve people in their matters. Hey, let me, let me give you a word of advice tonight, okay? Listen, listen, listen tonight. There's a lot of things get us all worked up. We all get worked up about something. And if we're not very careful, once we, once we cross that line and we get on that phone and we start talking to people about it or we start using commu- electronic communication, whatever medium that may be, to start communicating, you know what's going to happen? Once you cross that line, you're going to keep doing that and you're going to find yourself, you, you'll spend more time complaining or whatever it may be about the situation or whatever it may be, then you are reading your Bible and praying to God. That's what's going to happen. And if you've ever been there or you're there right now, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about there, okay? And Paul's saying here, listen, they're busybodies. They've gone to a place where they have forgotten what their purpose and their goal in life is all about. They've forgotten that they just want to be, they want to stick their nose in other people's businesses and, the, and they delight in seeing other people. By the way, we should not delight in seeing a brother or sister fail. We should not delight in seeing somebody fall. If that's our attitude, God help our soul tonight. That is not the attitude we should have. And so these busybodies are taking advantage of other people. They're freeloaders. One, one man said this. They call them cuckoo Christians because cuckoos like to mimic the practices of other, of other birds and animals. And they, they like to mimic other people like that. And I kind of agree that they're kind of cuckoo if they're doing those kind of things. Amen? And so tonight we see Paul making... We see the principle quickly. We see the prohibition. Would you notice really, really quickly, number three, would you notice the prudence and separation? I'd like you to turn to Proverbs 18. I just want you to understand the, the mind of God on this for a moment. We're almost done. Now, what I mean by that, God wants us to be wise about the matter of separation. And would you notice how he develops this for us in chapter 18 of Proverbs? Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh intermeddleth with all wisdom. Now, that's a good separation. We're to separate ourselves to seek and to intermeddle with, as he says, or to basically to, you know, fill our life with wisdom. We want to make good choices. We want to make good decisions, okay? He says, a fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. He's going he's to reveal that he's foolish. And when the wicked cometh, then cometh also contempt, and with ignominy, that is bad behavior, cometh reproach. Well, as we read about this prudence in separation, he's telling us two things. He says, when the wicked cometh, now that, that, that same group of people is defined there in 2 Thessalonians 3 in Romans, in Romans chapter 16, those are the ones we're to withdraw ourselves from. He says, when the wicked cometh, he says, there's contempt. You know, when the wicked come, they're content, they have contempt towards the word of God. And they have contempt towards biblical practices. And they have contempt to the doing the things that we push forward. Hey, listen, there should not be in a church like this there should not be in a church like this. There should not be any disagreement about the fact that this is a soul winning church. 
And we emphasize soul winning, okay? Now, I know there's some that perhaps don't feel as strongly about it and would like to, would like, and even some of you here tonight would like me to make less of an emphasis on it, but I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm not making any apologies. This is a soul winning church. And if you don't feel comfortable with it, I'm going to keep preaching on it because one day you will be comfortable with it. Amen? You need to get comfortable with it. It's a soul winning church. By the way, by the same token, I want you to be, you may be uncomfortable with this message tonight about biblical separation, but I'm going to keep preaching on it because you need to be comfortable with it. Amen? And by the way, I'm comfortable with everything God has to say in his word. I'm not comfortable when I'm not with it, and you shouldn't be either. And I'm just saying tonight as we look at this, he says, and when the wicked cometh, then cometh contempt. And if you don't like what the preacher says, that means because you've got a problem with God, amen? Then cometh contempt, and with bad behavior or ignominy, reproach. And he says, now if you continue down the pathway of bad behavior, you're going to be the reproach of other people there. He says, the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to accept the person of the wicked to overthrow the righteous in judgment. So he's saying, he's telling us to be men of wisdom. Hey, listen, Proverbs 13, 20 says, he that walk with wise men shall be, but a companion of fools shall be what? Destroyed. Right there. We're talking about biblical separation. This is separation 101. There's a principle. There's a prohibition. There's prote- the, protection, the, 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 the prudence. But notice as we close that, would you notice the protection in separation? Vance Havner said this. We are not to be isolated but insulated. Moving in the midst of evil but untouched by it. Separation is contact with contamination, is, is, is not having contact with contamination. Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, the Bible says. Yet he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Remember what I said earlier? What's tough for a lot of us tonight about biblical separation is what we're separating from. Now, God's not telling you you can't be friends with unsaved people. What he's telling us is that while we're friends, we're not to commingle ourselves with their practices. Now, here's how it happens. You're in business, and you have to travel, and you have to go out to eat with them, and they, they have a social drink. Does that mean you have to take a social drink with them? Absolutely not. Biblically, no. Biblically, no. You're not, to, you're not to be partaker of other men's sins, the Bible says. Okay? And so you're not to go down that route. I, I knew a man... He was a Christian, he was the president of a corporation years ago, and he was telling me, he's bearing his heart to me, he says, he says, he says Brother Fong, he says, I just tell you, it's real hard, man. He says, all my coworkers, they go to these men's clubs and things like that. And I said, well, what do you do? You go to those men's clubs? He said, well, and I said, if you're going there, you need to stop, man. You need to stop right now. I said, if it means you've got to give up your position, you better stop. Well, you know what? He didn't give up his position, but he lost his position anyway. God took him out of that position. He got a demotion. I found out years later, I said, wow, God took him out of there. I didn't have to ask any questions. And I'm telling you tonight, you're going to have those temptations. You're going to you want to commingle with them and go with them. and You want to club with them. You ought not to club with them. You ought to club them on the head. Amen? <laughs> so biblical separation is God's way of insulating us, not isolating us. Okay? Now, what is he saying here? We're separating from, but here's the good part. Who I'm separating to? I'm separating to Jesus. I'm trying to get closer to Jesus. If you just remember, I'm separating to Jesus, you know, you want to be close to Christ. Amen? Why would you not want to be close to Jesus Christ? Why would you not want to be close to his wonderful word? Why would you not want to be close to holiness? Holiness is, we're taught, the Bible says, worship God in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is beautiful. Amen? It's wonderful. 
So let me give you these closing thoughts. We're done. First separation is to help the sinning brother know he needs to repent and get right. Notice verse 14. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man have no copy with them, that he may be ashamed. It's, it's God's method of helping someone who will not repent realize, man, I'm losing my friends here. I've got to repent. I've got to get right. I want to lose my friends. Verse 15. Now, here's the attitude we share. You, I want you to get this now. This is so important. I'm glad this is our closing part. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That's the key thought right there. He's not your enemy. He's still your brother. But you need to know where to draw the line. Then secondly, separating, separation to keep you from falling a bad example and from you falling out of fellowship with God. Know who your friends are. Know what your friends believe. Know where to draw that line. Because if you don't draw that line, you're going to keep pushing the line, pushing the line, and pushing the line. And by the way, don't be such a separatist that you're isolationist. That is not biblical. Realize we have to work with people and deal with people. There's all these different degrees. We have to work through all those dynamics there. You know, tonight, I'm just, I'm just excited about the fact that we, have, we serve a God who is holy, and he wants you and me to be holy. Amen? Amen. Let me just say this tonight as we talk about separation. There's one kind of separation that should cause you and I concern. And that's when Jesus separates the unsaved from the saved. And let me encourage you tonight. If you just stay busy soul winning and get out the gospel and living for Jesus Christ, separation takes care of itself. It really does. You don't have to pick up some, the, the next Christian periodical, find out where some of these positions are. You need to know that. But you don't, have to, you don't have to lose sleep over that. You just live for Jesus, go after souls, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. Walk in the Spirit. You know, the Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That's Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, walk in light as he's in the light. You know what? You just, we do all that. It takes care of itself. Amen? Now, if you're struggling tonight, Remember, we start out by saying, Paul gave four commands in this passage of Scripture. Two of those commands deal with biblical separation. You say, well, I'm going to have our time leaving my friends. I'll promise you this. If you just live for God, they're going to leave you. They're going to leave you. They're going to leave you. And I want to tell you tonight, I went through a difficult time in my life where I had, I had a number of people I thought were on the same page as me many, many years ago. And I went through that struggle. Man, that hurts. I wept. But I look 20 years, 25, 30 years later, I look at all the friends God's given me. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. Glory, hallelujah. God gives you many times over. Just God's word. Holiness, be holy, he said, even as I'm holy.